to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Rod Lentino. Rod has over 15 years experience in the industry, working at companies like Komatsu Canada, SMS Rents, and is currently the rental fleet manager at Cooper Equipment Rentals in Canada. Rod has worked on several technology projects, and I'm quite excited to talk to him about some of these, one of which was a project to help amalgamate all their OEM tele- telematics data into a single location so they can make better decisions around their fleet. Rod, thanks for coming on the podcast today. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you got into the equipment rental industry? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mark. Really appreciate it. Um, it's, it's a bit of an unusual story, actually. I didn't follow the traditional path uh, that many do coming into the industry. Uh, I didn't come from a family-owned business. Uh, I didn't start at an early age and work my way up. So maybe just a little bit of context uh, about where I was before uh, I came into the industry. Um, I studied engineering at the University of Toronto. I envisioned myself working for an automotive manufacturer, uh, maybe at the cutting edge of racing uh, technology with material selection. Uh, but when I graduated in, in 2002, and, and I'm going to date my, myself early in this podcast, um, I, I didn't. I didn't like the prospect of leaving Toronto uh, to work in Detroit or Europe or or Japan. Uh, my family was here. Uh, I'd been raised here. I was born here. So um, I took up some engineering work locally, um, and I worked uh, for a couple of years with uh, with a company that manufactured electric gear motors. And and there was a bit of a logjam with some uh, existing engineers with some tenure, and I wanted to grow a bit. And a family friend put me onto a, a position for product engineer at Komatsu Canada. Komatsu Canada was a wholesaler of, of Komatsu machines, large global manufacturer, of course. And I was going to be basically a liaison between the dealership group, the established one in Canada, and, and Komatsu America. And so I, I did mining application studies, site studies, uh, recommending uh, optimization of fleets for customers and haul road analysis. So that was really my kind of first exposure to equipment. I didn't know the difference between an excavator and a backhoe at the time, but I, I learned really quickly. I, I had an affinity for, for all things mechanical. So I kind of cut my teeth in, in the con- construction industry then. I didn't know at the time, but, uh, but my life was going to be very short-lived at Komatsu Canada. They were going to absolve the wholesale functions and along with my role and, and other responsibilities. Um, I got saved in 2007. Um, uh, as, as a compliance engineer with Komatsu Canada's parent company, SMS Equipment and Mining. Um, worked with them for a couple of years, just ensuring that Komatsu machines sold into the country, met local regulations in mining or various applications. And around the same time, they had started a rental company uh, called SMS Rents, work, operating out of the same office. And I got topped on the shoulder um, because there was an opportunity uh, to take on the role, the, the incumbent, Right around the time of the Great Recession, uh, it was starting to show signs of impact in Canada, 2008 or so, and she and she was leaving for a for a life in real estate um, in the states. I, I actually don't know how that pe- panned out for her, but it, I tell you, it panned out really well for me. I was just really lucky to get that opportunity. I wouldn't be here talking to you if I if I didn't get that chance. And so in, in about June of 2008, I I started as rental fleet manager for SMS Rents. I didn't know anything about the rental industry. And I knew very little about the construction industry, but I, I was young and uh, relatively smart and eager and had a lot of energy and I didn't have a family. So I, I 
I, I dug in um, and learned very quickly. I learned about procurement, about uh, repair and maintenance of equipment, uh, sales and disposals of used equipment. I was managing our vehicles. It was crazy, um, but the company was young and, um, and I grew with it. Uh, funny story about, uh, about my early days. <laughs> I didn't know anything about the KPIs or fleet metrics or anything about how you measured a rental business. In a lot of conversations and meetings I had, there was a lot of acronyms being thrown around like OEC and ROI and, and, and many others. But I had a little green book that someone gave me, uh, a published green book, might have been 10 or 20 years old at the time when I had it with a lot of these business uh, acronyms. And I, I wore it out, uh, just digging through it, learning. I had no prior, again, uh, schooling or education in the area. So it was a, it was a tremendous trial by fire, but I survived. And, and coming out of the Great Recession, there was a period of, of consolidation. And we got, we got picked up by Cooper Equipment in 2015. Uh, SMS Rent sold, sold in November of 2015. And I've been with them ever since. Wow, what a great story. So, so the mechanical side, like what, what got you interested in that? Was that from a young age? That's just the way I'm wired, I guess. Uh, I, I think I disassembled more toys than my parents could reassemble. I was, I was that kid. I just wanted to know how things worked. Um, I like things with wheels. Um, I was always, I was in, always into trucks and cars and, but more, more about how they worked. I wanted to know what was inside, what was in their guts? How did they, how did they function? Um, and, and how would they get put together? So that, that's just been a lifelong passion and interest and, uh, it's, it has served me well. And then, so I guess having that passion and that fire behind you and then getting put into that role at such a young age with little experience in the rental industry. Like, I think like you got the, the skill set and then you got passion. And I think it sounds like the passion was something that was just going to make you successful no matter what, really. Yeah, it's, it's like most things, right? Uh, you, you get out of it whatever you put in. Um, I, I remember when I was being interviewed for the role of, of rental fleet manager, the president at the time of SMS Rents asked, what does an engineer want to do with this, this dirty, simple industry? And I said, I like it. I just like the prospect of it. I like what it's about. I like the gear. Um, I like the fixing it, the, the, you know, the wrenching it. I like the, the idea of studying it, of optimizing it. Uh, I like the idea of studying numbers. Uh, I, was, I was always very strong with math and analytics. And there was a huge component of it even back then and, and more so today. So it was kind of marrying what I was really good at and what I was passionate about. So it just seemed to be an excellent fit. Mm, wow. Okay. And then, so when Cooper Equipment Rentals purchased uh, SMS, like what was the transition then? Uh, scary. Um, you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't know whether I was going to have a job. Um, I viewed myself as, you know, as, you know, part of the administrative team. Uh, they had their own uh, vision, obviously for, for the fleet and the management thereof it, uh, so all I could do is just work hard and, and prove to them that I was of value, that I had something to, to give. And, and that's what I did. I dedicated myself even more. It was just more responsibility. There was um, a larger fleet. There was more branches. Um, there was you know, new relationships to build. So I, I set out to embrace change. And I said, okay, look, I, you know, they're buying us. Um, so I need to, I need to figure out what the game plan is in a real hurry and start to work towards it because, uh, I'm not going to sell them on our game plan. And, and that's, 
sort of how I, I, I guess I stuck around. Yeah, it was an interesting acquisition as well because they were quite a large organization that Cooper acquired. It was almost, I think it was the largest business that they, they purchased in their, in their growth so far. Yeah, it was. It, it took us, it definitely took us by surprise. There was certainly a lot of rumors swirling. I was part of the transition team and, um, and helping develop a lot of the, a lot of the documents. I, I had a sense for some of the suitors and, uh, but Cooper came around, uh, at the time they had, I believe six locations and we had 15 and, um, nearly, nearly, uh, doubled the business, not quite, but you know, the fit was great. I think they were excellent at sales. We, we had really good processes. We, we were really good on, on procedural things and, and we had a really good network of branches, uh, good locations, uh, all of which, uh, with the exception of one are still uh, in the network. So, you know, we had a really good platform. Uh, we had a really good fleet mix. I think that, uh, that Cooper needed to, to help them get into other areas, aerial equipment, access spoons and, and, and scissors. So it was just, it worked out to be a great fit. It was a great buy. Like listening to Doug talk about the, the vision for the growth. And he spoke about the painted picture when he came on the podcast. I think having someone with that type of vision and that type of, I guess, ease of comfort when, you, when you're working under someone like that plays a big part in, in going along for the ride as well. Was that part of the transition as well with SMS or was that after? Yeah, it, it was. It was shortly after the transition that uh, that the painted picture was was made uh, made clear to us. Um, we they've since revised it uh, uh, to another painted picture. But there were several elements in that that really spoke to me um, in terms of the number of branches and the type of technology that they wanted to deploy. And um, it the painted picture really touched on the culture and the philosophy as well as just typical bricks and mortars. We wanted X amount, X amount of branches and X amount of, of uh, fleet. So, you know, there were elements in there that I could really latch onto because I had a direct impact on that. And, and I wanted to be part of that, that growth story. It sounded fun. Um, and it, yeah, that's, a big, that's a big part of our culture here. It's, it's a lot of fun to go to work. And it sounds like your personality type is that you, you like being challenged, like you like being put in a thing where you have to think and you have to sort of really try and solve some of these problems, like not in a, a role where it's sort of just very easygoing and that sort of thing. And I think the transitions that you've gone through and the challenges you've gone through have constantly given you challenges. Yeah, I, I think with growth, there's, there's pain, right? It's not, it's not easy to do something that's difficult. Obviously, that's why it's difficult. I, I can get bored if I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. So I'm, I'm always looking under the hood to see if there's anything else that can be done. Um, I like a good challenge. I like to think. I, I like to I like to fix things. And so, you know, if you look hard enough, there's always something to fix. So um, it just have to just got to pick your battles sometimes as a fleet manager because um, you can't do it. You can't do it all at once. But really focusing on one item. Uh, and, and dedicating resources if necessary or yourself to it is really kind of uh, rewarding. Yeah, so maybe like for the listeners, for the people that aren't, exp or aren't exposed to maybe a fleet manager every day, could you break it down in a simple way of explaining like what is the role of a fleet manager in an equipment rental business? Yeah, it, it could take many forms and it has in my, in my career. Um, in my, you know, in my position right now, um, overseeing product support, the product support department includes uh, everything from procurement of fleets, and, and that takes you down, you know, vendor negotiations and, and contracts uh, with vendors. Um, it, it involves the 
receiving of the equipment in the system, the management of the system in the system, uh, making sure that the data is clean, all the all the data is consistent, makes and models and and serial numbers. Uh, there are tangents and other systems that rely on that information to be accurate. Um, it takes you down service and maintenance, so I oversee um, that aspect of it. So I've got a team that works after, looks after warranty and parts, um, inventory management, uh, repair and maintenance. And, and then when it comes to exiting the equipment, there's a whole other uh, team that looks after our used equipment and the disposal of it, the decision of which channels, when to sell them. And there's a whole, there's a whole book of study on the analytics behind when to sell something and where. And, and so we're, we're refining that today as well. So it's really, it's the cradle to grave uh, of, of our assets. And so you mentioned some of the challenges that you faced. Maybe do you want to talk about a couple of challenges in your early days when you first joined the industry, since you were really fresh, and maybe some of the challenges that you faced later in your career as well? I think, I think those challenges are very different, actually. In it, initially, it was just a void of knowledge. That became a real point of motivation for me to grow and learn. So I dug deeper and, and just basically immersed myself in in other aspects of the other departments and learning how they worked and how, you know, my relationship affected theirs and vice versa. Um, so that I can get a larger picture of, you know, where, how I fit in, but I also wanted to be a, an indispensable resource. So I wore a lot of hats very early on. I, I had a lot of time on my hands so I could dedicate myself uh, to the business. And once I established myself as a critical resource, um, I realized time management was an issue for me. Um, just there was too much being asked of me. I had, I had somewhat created a monster. Everybody was coming to me for everything. Working longer hours wasn't working. So I had to find another solution. I had to expand my team uh, to help cope with, uh, with the increased workload because I couldn't do it alone anymore. And, and I had to shed other aspects of my job that no longer fit with my product support role. So I entered into a period of vulnerability because I'd never asked for help before. That wasn't that wasn't the the, the persona that I had uh, that that I had envisioned being. I had to I had to ask for help. I had to uh, add people to my team, and I had to say, look, I can't do this anymore. So that was that was kind of an early challenge. It was a personal struggle internally in my head, admitting that I just couldn't do it myself. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I think I think in retrospect, it it shows uh, kind of strength in saying. Hey, the, the, there's more here. There's more meat on the bone than I can handle. We need more, more arms and legs. So, um, but at the time, it, I didn't see it that way. Today, it's a little different challenge. I, I think as we grow, and, and we've got almost 50 locations across the country, we've done several acquisitions. The, the, the standardization of our fleet and, and a lot of the business operations is, is a real challenge. You have a lot of different cultures and a lot of different makes and models and, and brands. So as we grow and expand our network, there's uh, into different markets and cities, it becomes more increasingly difficult to, to get consensus amongst uh, peers on which brands to carry in the fleet, how to categorize certain equipment in our system um, and how to carry out certain operational functions. So it's, it's a really delicate balance between operational preferences and the needs of, of a larger company. So I think we do a really good job at Cooper at listening uh, and it's a bit of a ground up approach. We listen to our branch managers and our regional managers, our sales team on what tools they need to be successful and providing them with those uh, tools to get the job done. I, I used to lose sleep uh, because the music would never stop. I could never nail down just, just one brand 
in a particular category um, and get it all to be the same and neat. But now I get concerned if it's not constantly evolving. I've, I've embraced change. And I think you just need to be flexible in this, in this industry and, and especially in this role um, because it, the, I don't think we could ever get to 100% uh, uniformity. And I, I, I don't think that's reasonable anymore to expect. Yeah, and I, I want to touch on something you said before. So you, you mentioned that you, you got to a point where you couldn't take on any more. It was, you, you were going to probably start uh, exhausting yourself or doing more hours that was like really feasible. And so you had to employ people and, and build up the team around you. So was that something, because you would have been at a young age as well, like would that, would that be something in itself in learning to then employ and mentor the people that you are bringing on board as well? Yeah, I think, I think part of it is, you know, as, um, as a young manager, I wasn't a good manager. So the prospect of having people report to me uh, was daunting. Early in my career at, at SMS Rent, I, I had uh, two people working for me. I had a fleet coordinator, um, and, and sort of a product support manager who looked after the service side of things. And I had one other person looking after procurement and that was it. The, the rest of it sort of was on me. And so as the volume uh, increased, as I took on more responsibilities, as I raised my hands for uh, other things um, like import, uh, customs, uh, shipping, logistics, vehicles, um, you know, the, my only lever was to work more hours but it got to the point where it felt like you were working uh, every waking hour. Um, and it just was, I, I just would burn out. So I had to find a way to work smarter, um, find a way to cultivate uh, people, uh, train them while uh, taking on more work because the volume continued to increase. So it was, it was difficult. It was difficult to, to download all the knowledge that I had accumulated over a period of a decade or more from scratch. Uh, bring, bringing people onto the team and, and having them hit the ground running. There was no, I had the benefit of a soft start. Uh, the company was slow, slow, business was slow and it was small. So we could just learn at our own pace, but we had started to build momentum. And especially with the acquisition of Cooper, that's, that's when I really recognized I, I, I didn't have the, the right team. I didn't have a big enough team and I didn't have enough people to, to help manage it. So I think it's a lot better today, but it's taken some effort. Yeah. And you also mentioned that like, there's always going to be lots of things out there if you look long enough in terms of trying to improve things or solve challenges, but it's important to really focus on one or two things. Have you had an experience where you've sort of focused on too many things at once and then you sort of get distracted? Yeah, I think, I think with anything, um, especially in, in, the, in fleet management, um, multitasking major fleet initiatives is very difficult. You don't really seem to make any progress with any of them. So you, you kind of have to pick your, you have to pick your battles and, and just do one and, and focus on that one particular uh, project to see it through to the end. You, you get pulled in a lot of different directions. And so whatever spare time you have, you can't be juggling uh, multiple projects. You gotta, uh, whatever spare time you have, it's gotta be singular and focused. Um, everything else is in sort of a bit of a management uh, status, uh, status quo. So uh, that's, that's one thing that I definitely learned. I thought in, in, my, in my younger days, I could do a lot more. And, and looking back, I probably didn't accomplish as much as I would have uh, had I focused on one at a time. So that's been a bit of a shift in my, in my mindset today. And then it's not just people 
like you mentioned, technology also changes and there's different opportunities out there as well. So, so how has technology helped you at Cooper Equipment Rentals and how you manage your fleet? Yeah, te- technology in our industry is evolving very quickly. Um, you know, it, it, is a, it is still a very messy, dirty business in some cases. It, it could be, you know, considered blue collar, but it's very advanced um, and it's very interesting. And it's growing rapidly. Uh, technology is, is helping us evolve our business, look at it in different ways, get information in real time. It wasn't long ago when, um, when you wanted any information about the health of your business, you had to go and produce it yourself. There was no dashboards. There was no uh, you know, reports uh, automatically emailed it to you. We had to crunch a lot of data. And, and once you had it, it was, it was already stagnant and stale. So you're not getting the steady stream. So I remember initially uh, migrating from the reports that our ERP system could generate to a cloud-based service and, and we can merge contract information with product file information and, and we would start to learn about you know, the value of our assets on rent and our, what we call our OEC on rent and we would have you know, live reports generated and emailed to us. Um, that was a major advent. Um, just having data produced without uh, any human running those reports. Um, that was just really simple technology. But, but today, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different. At Cooper, we've got a, a number of platforms that we're leveraging from, uh, from a unified parts ordering system in SmartEquip, where all of our uh, preferred vendors and suppliers are on one portal for, for ordering parts. That, that's a game changer for us with the number of uh, brands and suppliers that, that we represent. Uh, to be able to order parts on one one platform um, is amazing. No remembering passwords for dozens of of um, websites that that has saved us a tremendous amount of time. And we've expanded that service as well to include a, our own internal company catalog for things like point of sale consumable items, uh, rent ready tags, equipment decals, and and we plan on expanding that service further. So it's migrated from just just ordering parts for servicing our equipment to to impacting other areas of our business we've launched an exciting used equipment initiative and uh, with that we host many of our uh, assets for sale on our website it, it shows machines available in real time and, and when they're sold they automatically drop off the website so it's not something that we have to upload and uh, and manage manually it just happens automatically which is uh, which is really great so our staff and our customers absolutely love that, that system. And then most recently, we've embarked on a really aggressive telematics deployment program with TrackUnit, and, and it gives us real-time uh, telematics and machine health and safety diagnostics. And that, that technology in the last three to five years has, has tremendously evolved from, from simple dots in a map before Q4 emissions to, to what we get today. That, that has been a real game changer. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to, to dive a little bit deeper on that. So... To understand exactly what the challenge was before track unit and then what were some of the challenges that you solved after track unit and maybe what what actually makes up the solution so my 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 initial exposure to to telematics was um back with command to canada where those mining uh, big mining shovels and and rigid frame rock trucks had uh, um fairly advanced telematic systems, they were satellite based and they, and they reported once a day, it was very costly to transmit the data back then, but you didn't get the benefit of real time cellular um, connectivity. So 
Um, that, that was a big change in, in telematics, um, just simply the speed uh, and, and how quickly you can get the data. Um, but, but before we were able to use any forms of GPS, um, you, you really kind of only looked at it as a theft recovery technology. You know, we had machines stolen, uh, we'd activate the device and you'd try to find it on a map and, and you'd, be, you'd be praying that the, the thieves didn't steal the device out of the machine and uh, throw it in a ditch somewhere. It, it's happened where we found <laughs> reporting devices on the side of a highway, but, um, but that was it. It was dots on a map in the early days, um, just, just uh, finding stolen equipment. The real watershed moment in the industry came with the advent of Tier 4 Final and CAN bus. Um, we, we now have a network of sensors on the machines that are continuously reporting their, uh, their status, uh, what they're seeing, what they're reading, temperature sensors, load sensors, um, various other types, uh, ignition, uh, battery charge. So you're suddenly getting uh, this wealth of knowledge of these machines because they're all speaking a common language. And that opened, that really opened our eyes to what this could potentially do for our business. We, we looked at it as um, multiple branches or I guess multiple pillars of our business could, could benefit from this, from our uh, service and maintenance people who could remotely diagnose machines. If, uh, if a customer called and said that was, there was something wrong within the field, they could, they could do some triage uh, before going to site. Is this an electrical issue? Is it a hydraulic issue? Is it an engine issue? Uh, so it cut down on, on uh, our service time because we didn't have to dispatch a, a technician uh, to site. So that's one of the early uh, benefits. Uh, our, our drivers, um, they could pinpoint the machine on, on a map and, and drive straight to it. So they're not driving around searching around the job site. They, they know exactly where they're going to pick it up. So it started to build efficiencies into our business that we didn't, uh, we didn't necessarily anticipate initially. Um, I, I also recall, you know, when, when the technology really started to take, take shape, every, there was a lot of third party suppliers, a lot of the OEMs had their own platforms. And suddenly we had over a dozen platforms and all of our equipment was spread over those platforms. And we couldn't, we couldn't see everything on one screen. And I remember that being uh, really frustrating. It was really good information. But I had 10 machines here and a 50 machines there, and uh, it just wasn't usable. So that was my first really, that was my first uh, goal in trying to search out a partner for telematics is to find uh, someone that could consolidate all of this on a single platform. And, and that's how we landed in, with TrackUnit. So TrackUnit has the ability to take all of your GPS data and plonk it on a single map. And then you can then analyze that data and then make decisions off a single location rather than logging into multiple portals. Is that what you're, you're saying? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It, it, you know, we've got now over 2,500 assets reporting on, on a single platform, but the stream of data is coming from, from multiple OEMs uh, platforms. So having the visibility on a single site, having a tie-in into our ERP system through a single portal gives us uh, a really big advantage. We can, we can see multiple machines um, despite the different brands um, and they may not necessarily have been purchased from the same OEM. So 
Yeah, it, it, it's really tremendous the, what TrackUnit has been able to bring to us, um, like again, on a single platform. So um, it's eye-opening. Because you've got so many different OEMs that you need to communicate with and manage <clears throat> those relationships, was that TrackUnit managing those relationships and getting those integrations in, or was that more Cooper Equipment doing that at management? When we set out to um, initially do our research on who could help us with this, we really wanted to understand who had uh, relationships with OEMs and who had already established those connections into those, those data feeds. TrackUnit had the most impressive list of uh, OEMs um, that they were installing their devices at the factory, but they also had already synced with other OEMs uh, feeds. So although they may not have been the, the number one factory choice, they were still able to, to tap into the data. So the, the shortlist of OEMs married very closely with our preferred vendors list. And so we, we set out to kind of uh, tap into those data sources and they had already uh, cracked the code, I guess you could say, um, on, on the different data points. And we were really up and running um, in just a few months. For people that are new to the industry, maybe as a fleet manager, and they're looking at improving the way that they manage their fleet, or maybe it's even someone that's more experienced. Like, like what advice would you give? Like, what are some quick wins that you think that you would, if you were to mentor someone, what, what would you say to them? That's a great question. I, and I, and I, um, I wish I had somebody give me the advice, um, but I, I alluded to it earlier, pick one battle at a time, you know, multitasking major fleet initiatives, especially difficult without the proper team around you and, and dedicated people. So, um, you know, in the case of that telematics program, I, I chose a, a project that I was extremely passionate about. And that excitement is actually contagious. It's others feed off of your energy and they instinctively want to contribute to its success. So you got to pick up one project at a time and you got to really want it. So that, that really aided me in getting some things across the finish line. The other thing that's really important is really understand your business cycle. And, and what I mean by that is the ebbs and flows of your workload. There is one for every company. It could be a seasonal one. Um, it could revolve around the fiscal year end or calendar year end, but really understand when the opportunity is right to strike because you don't want a false start in any project. So once you understand what your window of opportunity is, you can really dedicate your energy to that initial push to get the ball rolling on, on a big project. And once it has momentum, it carries itself. It, 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 it grows legs and other people get involved and, um, and then it takes on a life of its own. So that took me a long time to, to really understand is, is the business cycle of our industry and the acquisition obviously you know, interrupted that for me a little bit. So um, I've had to relearn it at Cooper, but uh, they're very similar. So it didn't, uh, it didn't take very long. Yeah, you would only really gain that, that knowledge through experience. And I, I guess you would gain it through some of your mentors over the years as well. Like, was there anyone that in particular that really jumped out as someone that played a big influence on, on your learnings? I, 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 I would imagine this is a common answer, but my, my father certainly um, had, a, had an impact uh, very early on. I, I was overwhelmed with a lot of the decisions coming, coming at me and you know, he would remind me, you know, these people that, you know, they, for right or wrong, they're looking for, they're looking for an answer. So try to give them one. And, uh, and, and I would initially stall. I would actually analyze everything. It's kind of my engineering uh, background. Um, and, and, you know, in this industry, we got to make some quicker decisions. I had to build 
intuition, which is kind of a weird thing to say out loud, but that's, that's the truth. It's just experience. And, and once I was able to build that intuition, I could, I could um, respond a little bit more quickly. And so he helped me see that, that when, when people are in crisis mode or they're looking for a, a lifeline, um, that we need to respond quickly to that. Um, so I was, I was initially really kind of steered by him, but there have been a lot of people in the industry that I have, I have modeled a lot of my work, uh, after, um, a lot of them too, too many to name. Um, but, uh, but, but I, I've taken in little tidbits of, of knowledge from everyone really just trying to understand how they tick, um, whether it's a little bit of a saying that they say or um, you know, how they behave, how they act. I have just really been in learning mode from the day I stepped in and, and I just haven't really lifted my foot off of that pedal, just always observing, absorbing. Um, so it's, it's been, um, it's been a, a good mix of, of influencers over my career. And I think that's a good thing to explain to others in the industry as well. Like there isn't going to just be this moment where you learn everything from just having one conversation with, with a, with a mentor or someone that you're working with. It's, it's a matter of almost like learning by osmosis and, and just watching them and, and sort of seeing where they're, why they why are succeeding in certain areas and how they're doing that and what, what the methodology is. And I think some people, they just assume that they're going to, take on a project, talk to someone, and then just have all that knowledge locked in. So I think it's, it's patience is, is a factor as well. And just learning over time and, and really building up your, your knowledge and, and your, your ability to roll something out or, or manage some like a team potentially. Yeah. I, again, I didn't have that benefit, right. Growing up in the industry and, and, uh, and learning, uh, learning the ropes uh, in a family business or, or just having that time horizon, right. Just from a very young age, learning it, I, I had to learn very quickly. So I was constantly listening, uh, constantly listening to what people were saying, what they were doing, what worked, uh, what was successful. I, I had to really get up to speed in a, in a real hurry. So that, that has formed the, the way I am. I, I'm really open to, you know, what people have to say, um, because that, that has, that has formed my opinion over the years. So it's, it's really interesting um, how that's all come about, but uh, yeah, there's always something, something new to learn. And then, so if you were to go back in time and give yourself some advice, like what would you say? Ask lots of questions, especially of those older than you. Um, if you ask enough of those questions, you'll, you'll, you'll find that some may not have been asked before. Um, and that's a little thread that you can tug at. And, and investigate. I was really, I was really shy when I was younger, and I, I didn't want to admit that I didn't know anything. And, and I know better now. I know to ask questions um, because that's how we we get better uh, I, personally and as a company. Um, so I would say, yeah, uh, fire fire questions at uh, at anyone who's willing to listen. I'd also suggest not to try to do any, anything alone. Um, no one expects that of you. Uh, what started out as, as a means for job security for me uh, turned into a real bear to unwind. So um, I think being confident in what your abilities are, but also know that you will always need the help uh, of someone else. So I'll keep that in mind and use others, other people's strengths uh, to your mutual benefit. Mm, that's some great advice. I think, yeah, people that are a bit shyer or maybe a bit younger, 
they, they see these veterans that seem just to know everything and they've been around for so long and they, and it can be quite intimidating sometimes to ask a question that you might think is quite a simple question and they're going to almost undermine you by asking it. But in the end, those people, like they get asked those questions all the time and, and they, they want to answer it. And it builds up that relationship with the person that you're communicating with as well. Yeah. You, you, you realize that they were in that position one time in their career too. And so it's okay to ask. It's okay not to know everything. Not everyone does. Um, so the quick, the quicker you can get yourself up to speed, the better for everybody uh, rather than hiding what you don't know. So that takes a little bit of confidence. It takes a little bit of courage for sure for anybody. Um, but once you get, once you make the world your comfort zone, um, there's nowhere else for, for that shyness to hide. So um, you, you just become okay with that. And then, so with all of this, you've obviously seen a lot and you, you've, you've changed both personally and professionally in different ways. How, how has maybe success uh, been defined previously and maybe how is it defined today? Because you obviously, it sounds like you've, you've evolved over time as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the way I define success today is very different from the way I, I did earlier in my career. Um, back then, I was just surviving. Uh, so I viewed success by how busy I was. Uh, the more work I had in the pipeline and the more other people depended on me and leaned on me, um, I thought I was just more successful. I felt needed. Um, but you could, one could also procrastinate and get the same sense of success. You know what I mean? So, um, but once I started to work smarter and I began setting goals for myself and vocalizing those goals to others, um, my, my view of success changed. It's a lot harder to let others down than yourself. Um, so having clearly defined goals gives you a sense uh, of a finish line. Uh, and reaching it gives you the sense of accomplishment and success. You can't manage what you don't measure. And, and I view success today in, in a very different way. So um, in that vein, um, when I started to vocalize internally within the company, the need um, for an unf unfilled approach to telematics a few years ago, I started to realize that I might've been onto something. Um, I, I basically said, we need, we need to come up with a solution here. Um, what's what's what what we have going on isn't working um and i think what we've done over the last couple of years launching our telematics program is really the culmination of uh all all the things that i've learned over my career it um it has touched in on technology it started to improve the way that we we conduct our business from an operation standpoint from a service standpoint um you know scheduling of service and we provide a, a really strong value add i think to both our customers that we serve today and, and those that we're hoping to attract. So um, I, I would say that's really kind of a, a shining, a shining moment in my mind of uh, what, what has been a really successful story for me uh, today. Yeah. No, that's, that's really great to hear. And, and I think something that came to my mind just then was like, sometimes you might have these goals, like, like you mentioned the, the telematics program and, and you share that idea with someone else in the business and they don't see the vision on day one or day 30 or whatever it might be. And part of the success, and I guess moving forward is being able to accept that not everyone's gonna agree with you straight away, but it's about managing the expectations internally. Cause you mentioned it was a two year project. Like the first thing that I can think of is if I was a business owner and someone told me I had to put a hundred thousand trackers 
into into my fleet first thing i think of is the cost of those trackers okay <laughs> well here's a challenge and so it's also about managing the expectations uh and knowing that to get to that goal and that success it's going to be a bumpy ride but not to just rush and make assumptions based upon what someone else might not understand from day one i i, I think the first thing with setting any sort of goal is identify a pain point um the pain point that you know we had identified um was multifaceted number one uh, like any rental company we we suffered equipment thefts and so you know that was one one issue and we wanted to have a better recovery rate multiple platforms uh was a pain point we clearly couldn't get any good visibility at any one time it wasn't really it wasn't really helping anybody the the administrative burden of it was just too great uh, logins passwords uh, multiple sites and so I married some of those pain points and others with a passion. I was relentless. I was excited about the concept. I was excited about the idea. I studied it. I, it's all I would talk about. Um, and so, again, people, people look in the whites of, of your eyes. They see that passion. Um, you, you, you speak, you, you've done your homework because you're, you're interested in it. And so you've got some, some facts and data. To support that, you 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 can shine that light on uh, how that would look in the business, and that gets attention. So I think that's that's how you can tackle some of those things. It, there's there's no kind of snapping your fingers. Again, um, it's 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 difficult for a reason, right? Nothing comes easy. But um, if if I were to be talking as excited as as I would be about telematics about everything that we that we do of which I am, but I'm particularly passionate about this project um, that gets, that gets the tension. So, and I'm just so happy every day to be working on it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Now you've really shared a lot of great insights and I really appreciate how open you've been as well. Well, Rod, I really want to thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast. Hey, I really appreciate you having me, Mark. This was, this was actually a lot of fun. It was a great trip down memory lane. Thanks for taking me there. Please like, share, follow the Rental Journal podcast and we'll see everyone in next week's episode.